Acts chapter 18. When I started the book of Acts, back at the beginning of the year, uh, I knew it would be tough to finish by the end of the year. And this is one of those chapters, and there are many chapters, where I say, man, I wish I had three weeks to deal with because there's so much stuff. The things that God records in the Bible aren't just history. They're not just passing moments. They are the Word of God. They are carefully, precisely chosen. Every Word of God is chosen for us to learn from, for us to apply to our life, to receive and make a difference in our life. So there's a lot we're going to look at, very practical things here in Acts chapter 18. Start down in verse 5. I'm going to talk about being pressed in the Spirit, which means being motivated. All right, verse 5, Acts 18, 5, you'll see this. When Silas and Timotheus were coming from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit. That's a unique phrase. He was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Now, there is a wonderful force that affects the life of the believer. That force is the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God presses us, pushes us, motivates us to do the will of God, to care about the things that God cares about, because by nature, we don't care. By nature, if we were in a crowd, most of us wouldn't care about anybody else in that crowd. We care about the things of our own life. If uh, Paul's, if this influence was an emotional pressure, we would call it manipulation. And I know plenty of people who can emotionally manipulate a crowd. You know what I'm saying? They can get a crowd to do anything. That's called emotional manipulation. If it was a physical push, we would call it manhandling. But this is, Paul was pressed, he was pushed, he was, he was moved in his spirit. Now, Nita and I went out walking, and uh, yesterday, uh, over beyond Coachford, there's a waterfall. It's the first time I've ever been there. been here 28 years, never been to this water. I think it's called uh, uh, Mullenhassig. And it's a beautiful waterfall, but we're watching that river go up, and we, we tried to trace where it, where it starts, and, and there's no lake there. And Nita asked me, he said, uh, how come it just starts that blue line coming down as a river? And I said, sometimes it's because it's at the top of a, of a hill or whatever. And the water underground is squeezed by the pressure of that mountain resting on it. The mountain weighs uh, millions of tons, whatever. And it's pushing down and the water squirts up. Okay. Let me tell you, when you got saved, God put a well in you. It's called eternal life. And it's the spirit of God. And you wonder why you get put under pressure. Why at work, at home? Why the pressure? It's a pressing to get the Spirit of God out of you so it's not just you apathetic against things going wrong in your world. Paul could have just stayed quiet. Paul could have just been a good little boy and never, never opened his mouth, never you know, risked his life preaching the gospel. Could have just stayed quiet. But the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him stay quiet and put pressure on him, and out came the word of God. That's being pressed in the spirit, and God give us the ability to finally go with it instead of fighting it constantly. So the influence of the Holy Spirit of God, as we read there, Paul's spirit was pressed upon. We say it this way. I was very impressed. You ever heard somebody say that? That was very impressive. That means you moved me. You made me look. You made me consider now, 
he was being impressed upon to do what is hard to do. You know what it's hard to do? Preach to the Jews. Preach to a people that constantly rejected and fought him every time he tried to preach. Now, the truth is this. I want to get to this point, and that is, what would it be like if we were more influenced by the Spirit of God than we were by RTE? And if we were more influenced by the Spirit of God than we were by social media and by the friends, what would it be like if the Spirit of God, whether it's in church or while we're reading our Bible or while we're, while we're praying or while we're just walking along and the Holy Spirit of God says, hey, what would it be like if we actually got pressed in the Spirit ourselves? Let's pray. Father, help us, God, to realize we're not very sensitive. We're kind of hard, calloused. We've, we've struggled so long just to cope with problems. When you bring pressure into our lives when things are hard and wrong, Lord, we, we, we stop our heart. We stop the emotions. We stop responding. And we should, we should yield and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to do? In this room, there may be somebody, and there's probably several, who've never been saved, never been born again. And each time I ask them, are you ready to get saved? Each time I plead, from this pulpit come to Christ and the Holy Spirit knocks on their heart and yet they close and lock the door and yet they've been impressed upon the Holy Spirit has pulled and pushed and tugged and they weren't forced but they were loved And right now God I pray they would finally yield and they'd say you've impressed upon my heart my need to be saved you've impressed on my heart my need to repent and get right with my wife and my kids and get right with, with the people I've hurt and I've been hard against and I've turned away from. Lord, let us not be a hard people. Help us to be easily pressed upon by the Holy Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. This thing doesn't like me. Uh, go to Acts chapter 18, verse 1. This may be catch up. Acts 18, 1. And we're on to Corinth. There we are. Now, verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens. He just finished preaching in Athens about how some very intellectual philosophers and scientists and lawyers and judges, he told them the thing that they require everybody else to do, and that was they need to repent. They've been living a life of self-righteousness and life without God, and they need to turn, and they say, Lord, I've been following my own way. I follow now Jesus Christ. And what a day that was. Now, not many people got saved, but some of them did. And it, was a, it was a start of a church there in Athens. But Paul then moves on. Oh, I hate today. We're just going to have to do it. Then he headed to Corinth. So he came to a town. Um, and uh, if you notice, Athens, this, I love maps. And I, you may not know, but that's Greece there on the left-hand side. That's the mainland. And then the, the peninsula out there sticking out into the Aegean Sea and the Mediterranean. Right on the edge of it is Corinth, and Corinth was a very wealthy town, uh, city, because a lot of traffic, a lot of shipping had to go through there, and there was a lot of money to be made. And so he now goes to a very large city called Corinth. And uh, it, it was famous for lots of cultures and lots of vices, lots of sin. It's kind of like Cork today. We go down into Cork on a, on a Friday, and it's hard to hear English anymore Ireland is not Irish anymore. Uh, there's a lot of cultures here, and there's not one bit of problem with that. But I want you to understand, Paul went into Corinth, and there were so many cultures, and there was a lot of darkness. 
and um, uh, it became filled after Paul preaches there with many people who got saved and started living for God. And two letters in your New Testament was written to the Corinthians. First and second Corinthians. That's written to this group of believers there. Uh, there's a, there still are a lot of uh, ancient temples and uh, Parthians and, and um, uh, uh, they were meeting places and, and places for discussion or whatever in the old city of Corinth still today. Uh, one thing I want to say about this is Corinth had a lot of problems in it. Uh, I have a problem today with people who are very nitpicky about church. Because if you read the book of Corinthians, you find out the kind of stuff that was going on, the confusion, the twisted doctrines, the stuff. Uh, folks, there was sin. You know what? It'd make anybody ashamed of being a Christian, being around the Corinthian Christians. But the truth was this. They still were a church. Paul still calls them a church. And so be careful about watching these YouTubes that find fault with everybody and the conspiracy theories that says there are no churches anymore. Listen, churches, people, you know what people are? Problems. Amen. And the church at Corinth was a church. So don't be quick to tear, about, tear apart and walk away from your church when you find a flaw. Guess what? You'll find quite a few of them. Uh, they come to verse 2 now. And we meet Aquila and Priscilla. Paul found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius, he was the emperor, had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. Paul came unto Aquila and Priscilla, verse 3. And because he was of the same craft, we'd say this, the same skill or the same trade, he abode with them, he lived with them, and he wrought, he worked, for by their occupation, they were tent makers. So Paul meets a married couple named Aquila and Priscilla. They were Jewish believers uh, in Jesus. They had been born over in what we call Turkey, modern Galatia, and had moved all the way up to Rome and then got kicked out. They had been exiled. And history records that there are a lot of people were going into the, the Roman Empire with the gospel and when they would go into a town and people got saved, especially Jews, the unbelieving Jews would cause a riot everywhere. And so Claudius decided, let's just get rid of the Jews. And he kicked them all out of the country. So they're all fleeing, whether they were Christian or not. All ethnic Jews were kicked out. And Quill and Priscilla, I'm thinking, you think about it, if you're living in a country, some of you have had this experience where you had to leave because of persecution, because of trouble, because you had to, to get away for your life. And you start over with nothing. And here's Aquila and Priscilla, and they meet Paul. What an encouraging meeting that must have been. Now, Paul didn't bring any money with him. I mean, he needed to work a job, didn't he? And they got on like a house on fire. They had four things in common that I know about. One is they had the Lord Jesus Christ in common. Just like we do, amen? That's a good reason to get along. They had a great purpose, and that was the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. They had the same cultural background. They were ex-Jews, so they had a lot in common from their past, and they had a common co uh, occupation. Now, I've never met a tent maker, but can you imagine making a tent by hand? First of all, I hate using a needle because it, man, it hurts. I don't have the calluses on my thumb to push through heavy fabric. But if you're making a tent, you have to use a serious needle putting it through, and it may take you weeks to make one tent. 
These three are tent makers. They had a skill, a trade. Uh, but the point is, God loves putting people together and making a team out of them. God brought these three together. Now, they're always, the thing that's, uh, uh, they're always mentioned together as husband and wife. About nine times in the Bible, it talks about Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla. I like that. That's a great testimony. How do people refer to you? A married couple should be together in serving God, not just the husband or not just the wife. There's many a man who sits at home because his wife's at church and he wants to sit and watch TV. You know, if you're saved, where should you be? With, Aquila, with Priscilla, amen? I'm not getting amens today. I don't know what channel. Change the channel and get on my frequency here. If, if you're saved, you should be with your wife. If you're saved, you should be with your husband. This is, this is what it means to be a Christian couple. Uh, the ministry of a healthy Christian marriage is priceless. No wonder the devil loves to get you guys into an argument on Saturday night. <laughs> Why the kids explode on Sunday morning on your way out to the car? Because he knows the power of that husband and wife in love with Jesus, in love with each other, in love with souls. They're unstoppable. A married couple serving the Lord. And they were friends. Go to Romans. You're in Acts. Go to the right and see how Paul writes about Aquila and Priscilla. Romans chapter 16. Romans 16 verse 3. Romans 16 verse 3. Now Aquila and Priscilla have headed back to Rome. They've been allowed back in. Paul is writing to the Christians there, and Aquila and Priscilla are there. And it says, verse 3, hey, send my greetings. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. He says, they helped me. I like that. You see, an arrogant attitude says, I helped them. But a humble attitude says, they helped me. I wonder who has helped you that you haven't recognized, you haven't really taken a tenant to go, you know, they were there for me. Keep going, verse 4. Who have, for my life, laid down their own necks. How would we say that? They risked their lives. Unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And this couple didn't just, you know, say they loved God and say they loved the Bible. They actually started a church in their home. Verse 5, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. I actually talked to somebody years ago. And I said, what is a church? And they says, the buildings. And I said, okay, well, let me show you this verse. What's the church doing in their house? That doesn't work. You can't fit that big cathedral into a house, amen? It's not the building, it's the people. Greet the church that's in their house. So he goes on. But anyway, they were friends. They loved Paul. They helped him preach. They followed Paul around as he started churches all over Asia, and they even risked their lives. They laid down their necks to help Paul keep preaching. And that's what I'm talking about, being pressed in the Spirit. All the way through, you're going to see small ways that the Lord keeps encouraging Paul to keep going, because if anybody ought to be discouraged, it ought to be Paul. So he continues to evangelize, verse 4 now, the Jews, uh, Acts 18.4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. What's he doing? He 
persuade, he, he uh, every Sabbath, so he makes a priority, he says, this is when I can talk to the Jews. And so he got them along, uh, got them to sit down, and they allowed him to speak. And every Sabbath he was persuading them, not only the Jews, but also the Greeks, about Jesus Christ. And this is what evangelism means, to take time to answer. Don't just tell people the gospel, answer their questions. You say, well, I don't have many answers. You have some. One answer ought to be it works. Amen? You ought to be able to prove that it saved you. Amen? Evangelism takes the time to answer questions, explain the gospel. You know what most people think? The gospel is a book up on the lectern up there by the priest. They think that's the gospel. They have no idea what the gospel is. Explain it. Help them see Christ in every chapter of your Bible. Jesus did that with a very intellectual Jew named Nicodemus. He said, you remember that, that pole with that brass serpent on it? That was a picture of me, Jesus said. Amen? And when, when, when people are, are confused and they've been taught all kinds of crazy things, take the time to show them Jesus Christ, not Michael the archangel. Show them the Savior in every page. Don't be afraid of pressing people to examine the facts about Jesus because that's what people need. They're getting pressured all day, every day. If you're not LGBTQ, you are pressured, aren't you? I mean, get them to think about what's going on, get them to think about their life, get them to think about the pressure on them and ask them, why is God being so gentle with you? He's being very patient with you. Which would you prefer to yield to? I prefer Jesus. He's a gentleman. Now, uh, verse 5, we come along here, and when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, now watch. Paul was pressed in the Spirit, and what's the result? He testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Now, you're going to see why this is important, is because uh, Paul, uh, Paul's been separated from Timothy and Silas for a little while. He's preached in, 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 in Athens, and that was a big deal. I can imagine he was like, if you never know, if you know the Old Testament there, Elijah coming down from Mount Carmel, and the victory that was there, as soon as he came down, he battled depression, didn't he? Coming down off a mountain, sometimes you go into a valley emotionally, and he, Elijah went down, and God had to encourage him. And how did God encourage Paul after coming out of Athens and now in Corinth, and he's looking around all this stuff, just more work to do. Amen. He's got Quill and Priscilla, but then Timothy and Silas show up, and it motivates him. It encourages him. It was a great encouragement to see these two uh, brethren. I jotted down some things I want you to ponder for a minute. Paul, just like Jesus, gave his life to help others find comfort in trusting the Lord. That's what we do. We try to get people to have hope in Jesus Christ, to trust in the Lord. But as much as Paul encouraged others, he needed to be encouraged too, didn't he? He got discouraged when preaching to the Jewish people. <laughs> you see, the Gentiles got saved like popcorn. The Jews were like cement. And it just, the, the very people of God were hard and angry at the gospel. And so Paul's like, I, I, I just want to quit with them. And then Timothy and Silas show up. And it motivates him, encourages him. Because I want to say this. Don't we imagine, that's me on, on Monday morning. No. <clears throat> no. Don't we imagine that leaders need to be, come on, 
go back. Don't we imagine that leaders need to be self-starters? We need to be able to get up early in the morning. We need to be doing the right things and being at the head and and setting the pace. Don't we need to be self-starters? Don't leaders need to be self-motivated? Will we just do it because it's right? Don't we need to be self-sufficient? If nobody else was with me, a leader just keeps going on, right? And self-confident. Whoa, we need to be sure of ourselves. Now, that's what all the leadership conferences teach. If you're going to be a leader, you're going to need those characteristics. But guess what? As a pastor, as a dad, as a husband, as a man, I'm not. Neither are you. We pastors, we teachers, we husbands, we dads, well, guess what? We need encouragement. We preachers need men to be with us. You don't understand how important it is that you come on a Sunday. You say, what can I do? Smile. Look at me without that steely, snarling fangs. And that encourages me. Now, I have to say things that might upset you, but you need to consider, is he telling the truth? Is he speaking in love? Does he care? Or is he just mouthing off? Realize, when you stay home, when, when there's soul winning going on, and you couldn't be bothered, when we have prayer on Saturday night, and you're busy stuffing your face with another bowl of popcorn, I'm telling you, there are many Wednesday, Sunday nights I'm here praying, and I don't want to ever quit praying on a Saturday night, but I'll put a little guilt on you right here. I could use a few more of you encouraging me in prayer because I'm praying for every one of you. You need to encourage those who are supposed to be leaders because we need it. We were never meant to be a dad alone. We were never meant, I'm speaking to the men for a moment, we were never meant to do ministry alone, to work alone. We're to work with the strengths of the entire body of believers, aren't we? We gather together as a body, and just like this hand works with this hand and this foot and that foot, when they all work together, a lot of things get done, amen? And Paul needed Silas and Timothy to help. It was not like, all right, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to go on holiday now. No, he needed help. Because he was a self-starter, self-motivated, self-sufficient, self-confident, but he was still only him. It was only him, and he needed those two with him. I'm thankful for Silas's and Timothy's and Luke's who know when to show up and help keep me going for God. You have no idea how little things encourage me. He comes now, we come to verse, six, verse 5, pick it up there in verse 5. We already read it there. When Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and he kept testifying to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves, think about this. That, that means that they, when they were, you know, hurting their own, they, they were actually turning against their own selves when they opposed themselves and their own doctrines and blasphemed the name of Jesus, this is how he feels, which, watch it, he shook his raiment and said upon them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go into the Gentiles. Sounds pretty emphatic, doesn't it? Says, I'm done with you. All right? Now, if you've never been there, then you haven't really un- had, had trouble. <laughs> Where you said, I quit. I've had enough. It's over. That's a normal human reaction, and we all do it. We all get to that place where you say, I can't handle that person anymore. I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to even see him. 
That is a normal thing. But aren't you glad when somebody comes along and encourages you? Because you're going to watch Paul. Paul goes right to the Jews again. The Holy Spirit keeps, keeps saying, I ain't going to let you quit. I'm going to keep burdening you for my people. When, when, when it says pressed in the Spirit, it means he, that uh, Paul was influenced by the Spirit of God. Paul, of, of, of people, from his very moment that he got saved, what was the prayer he prayed after he got saved? Lord, what would thou have me to do? What is it you want me to do? I just want to know your will. That's a good prayer to pray every day. That's learning to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. He was, he was influenced by the Holy Spirit. He was sensitive. He was stirred. We'll find, we find that verse in chapter 17 where he was stirred in the Spirit when he came into Athens. That means he was affected, motivated to care about the things that God cares about. And then I kind of I, I added sensitive, stirred, and shoved. Because the Holy Spirit will push you and put you into situations where the pressure sometimes is, is intense. And the pressure was, you got to keep moving forward. you got to keep going. You can't quit. Paul actually says this, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. He says, I cannot but help others to learn about Jesus. I don't care whether they're Jew or Gentile. I can't stop. I can't stop praying for so-and-so salvation. Every time I've given a gospel check, they've thrown it on the ground. Every time my uncle has, has, has heard the gospel from me, they have walked away. Every time they've rejected it, but I can't quit. That's being pressed in the spirit when you know, Lord, you won't let me. And Paul was not only influenced and, uh, and influenced by the spirit, but he was encouraged by the spirit. And I want you to see, look at verse 7. Verse 7, and he departed thence, and he entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. So he goes, <laughs> he's not going to go into the synagogue, but he's going to go right into the house that's attached to it. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to take a step away. Verse 8, and guess who gets saved? And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his house. Amen. Woo! Now, wouldn't that encourage you? He'd just given up, and the Lord says, don't give up. They'd still get saved. They, they, Christmas must have been listening, and then as Paul's walking away, he says, wait, 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 Paul. Can we talk? Amen. He was encouraged. Keep going there. Uh, verse 8, and Christmas, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord personally to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. Now notice, when he says fear, it's because Paul knows if he keeps preaching, the, the Jews are going to riot. <laughs> and they do. And Jesus says, Don't be afraid, just keep speaking, hold not thy peace, for not only Timothy, not only Titus, Titus not only Aquila and Priscilla, and not only silent Luke, remember Luke is there all the time recording this. Who's with him? The one who said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Isn't that an encouragement? You need to be reminded, you are never alone. And the Lord said, I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And so verse 11 goes on, he says, and he continued. 
That's a circle that word continued. He, he quit, didn't he? He said, I'm going to the Gentiles. And then he's staying right next to the, to the synagogue. And he keeps preaching. He continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now, uh, verse 12, and when Gallio was deputing in Achaia, the Jews made what? Let me finish here. Okay, so uh, I, just, I just put this picture up. Just keep handing out tracts. Just keep track within. Just give it. I don't care if they throw it on the ground. Doesn't matter if they look at you strange or whatever. Would you just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, are you trying to influence me? Have I been so hard that I don't care about souls? If there's anything that I need to get out of this portion of Scripture, it is that I'm not easily impressed by the Spirit of God, and I want to be. I want to care about that soul, somebody who's just sitting there on a bench somewhere, and I've got two seconds, and they've got two seconds. Let me give them a gospel track. Please, take your Christian life seriously, or else people die and go to hell. It's that serious. So we come now to the insurrection, the thing that you would be terrified of. It says, verse 12, when Gallio was a deputy in Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against one man, against Paul, and they brought him to the judgment seat saying, this fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Gallio said unto the Jews, well, let me hold that for a moment. Let me just come back to that in a second. Um, is it not true if you do live godly? What does the Bible say? All they that live godly shall suffer persecution. So one of the ways you know you're doing right is you get in trouble, not just with mom. Now forget about that. That's right to get in trouble there. But if you get trouble on the job or you get in trouble with the friends and in the hood, then that's a good thing. Because that means you're doing something right. And this mob was what every politician fears. You know what a politician fears? A mob. That's why Pilate gave in to the mob that demanded that Jesus be crucified and Barabbas be set free. Pilate said, go ahead. He didn't want to try to calm the mob he just gave them what they wanted and an innocent man died didn't he Jesus now think about it why was Paul in trouble because he was persuading men you know the world doesn't mind us coming in and meeting here like this closing the door having our little session praying reading the Bible they don't care it's when we go outside and we actually go head-to-head -head, uh, uh, in, in apologetics and in answering questions, and in compelling people, they're sinners, they're lost, they must be born again. When we, and then we persuade them, boy, you're going to start a fight. <laughs> Amen. He was in trouble for one reason. He was persuading men. He was actually persuading, especially the Jews, that the gospel was better than the law. Hallelujah. He was persuading that Jesus was more important than Moses. Now, can you see the Jews... Jesus is more important than Moses. And that what Jesus said was better than what Moses said. And it made those unbelieving Jews furious. <laughs> now I want to show you something really unique. A lot, of, a lot of our laws in the Western world came from the New Testament. Watch this. Verse 14. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth to make a defense, Gallio said unto the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, doing some evil sin, 
uh, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Just watch this for a second. The truth is this: governments and judges should never get involved in matters of faith. The government should have nothing to say about religion. They should allow the freedom of religion. I want the freedom to be able to deal with a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or a flat earther or anybody. I don't want somebody di dictating that I have to believe something. Amen. And I definitely don't want anybody trying to tell me that it's very offensive for me to try to deal with them. Amen. Governments need to stay back and let people argue and debate. But now, if you hand out a gospel track and it makes somebody upset and they report it to the guard, they're at your door. Yeah, so be it. Just show them the track. It's the gospel. It's what Jesus said. I'm just repeating. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> now, I thought about this for a second. Um, some people thrive on trouble, don't they? Some of you had kids that thrived on trouble. I had they thrive on trouble. They go looking for it. Some of them even end up in prison, don't they? Wouldn't it be great if those young men, I'm looking at two troublemakers on the front. Wouldn't it be great if those young men, and sometimes women, even some who are here this morning, if they got thoroughly saved and then got into trouble for standing up for what is right and what is, what is good and what is true and pure and what is, uh, uh, um, what is about Jesus and the gospel and about souls. What if they got in trouble for doing something good, like standing up for the unborn and preaching the gospel? That saves anybody. Wouldn't it be great if we had a generation that wasn't all wrapped up in climate activism, activ activism veganism, you ever want to upset anybody, eat a big steak in front of a vegan. <laughs> or politics. Amen. Because soul winning is much better. Much better. Now they head towards Jerusalem. We're going to wrap this chapter up kind of quickly. Verse 18. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while. I'm sorry, verse 17. I'll finish 17. I didn't read that one. Then all the Greeks <laughs> took Sosthenes. Now he was a believer. He was a Christian. The chief ruler of the synagogue and beat him before the judgment seat. And Gallio cared for none of those things. He says, oh, I don't care. And he's actually a real guy in history. He's a, an amazing fellow. Um, he didn't care about religion and what they did to one another. It's just, he said, let them fight it out. Now Paul goes on, verse 18, and Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria. So he heads straight across the Aegean Sea, back over north of Jerusalem, north of Israel, to Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Sancria, for he had a vow. But on his way, he stops by Ephesus, verse 19. He came to Ephesus and left Aquila and Priscilla there. But he himself entered in. <gasps> I thought he said he quit. Where's he going? Back in the synagogue. Amen. See, the Holy Spirit influenced him, didn't he? That, that, that friendship with Aquila and Priscilla influenced him. And Timothy and Silas showing up influenced him. Even though he said, I'm not doing it anymore. He goes ahead and does it again. He entered the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews. 
When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not. He said, wow, this is the first time they said stay. <laughs> and he says, I got to go. He's got a vow. He's got a commitment. He's got to do some things before he ends up in Jerusalem. He's going to go to Jerusalem, leave, and then come back later on. He's made a vow, as you'll see, and I'll explain in a minute. And he consented not, verse 21, but he bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast. He's got to be there for the Passover that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus, down to verse 22. And when he landed at Caesarea, and gone up and saluted the church there, he went down to a place called Antioch. So he saluted the church in Jerusalem, and then he went, and it says down, it doesn't mean by your map, it went in altitude from uh, Jerusalem's up on hills, and uh, Antioch's north, but down in the valley, verse 23. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order. What's he doing? Has he been encouraged? Has he been strengthened? And he says, I got to keep everybody else strengthened. One of the ways that, that God builds a church is we, we, we strengthen one another. We say things that edify one another. We find a way to encourage one another. Paul's been encouraged, and now he goes around the entire area of what we call Asia Minor there in modern Turkey, and he's going through there, and, and he's encouraging the Christians. He's strengthening them. Visiting uh, in order to, to um, make them stronger in their Christian walk and doing it without gym memberships. You know, to strengthen somebody means to give them truth, give them meat, he was going around giving them sound doctrine, correcting all the constant heresies blowing around that day, and they're still blowing around today. All you need is one YouTube, and, and it'll make you where you just give up, or you just say, oh, everybody's wrong. Be very careful, folks. So I, I want to make a point here. If you notice, Paul and Barnabas head off. Later, they become four, where Paul, uh, Barnabas and, and uh, John Mark head off, and Paul and Silas go. And then they get Timothy and become a team of three. And then Luke joins them in Acts chapter 16. Now they're a team of four. And now he's got Aquila and Priscilla. He's a team of six. Does that sound like a lot? God saves with many or few. Isn't it cool? You know, sometimes you're reading the Bible and say, there must be hundreds going with Paul. No, there's six. <laughs> and they're turning the world upside down. Amen? They're a team of six. They're going all over the place by foot, remember? They're doing it on pennies. He's, he's having to stop and make tents to sell just so he can go to the next city. They're going thousands of kilometers by foot. Then he's back up in Galatia, all of the churches that he'd helped start. They're back there, and he's encouraging and strengthening churches all because he's been encouraged. Then one last guy. Verse 24, everybody gets an upgrade. You ever, you ever, your phone gets very old and then you get a, a text from Vodafone. You qualify for an upgrade. <laughs> what they mean is we want more of your money. That's what it means. Anyway, well, Apollos gets an upgrade. He gets trained. I'll show you what I mean. Look there in verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man. That means he's a very good speaker. And mighty in the scriptures. Boy, that ought to be a good testimony we have. 
came to Ephesus, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. Now, remember, Apollos is not going to meet Paul, is he? Paul's gone. But who's back in Ephesus? Who stayed back behind? Who did Paul leave behind? Aquila and Priscilla. So he's there. And being fervent in the spirit, oh, sorry, verse 25, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the spirit, he spake and he taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Now, this is very critical. He only knows things up till Matthew chapter 3. That's all he knows. Nobody's ever showed him the rest of Matthew. Verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expanded unto him the way of God more perfectly. What were they doing? They were taking him down through Matthew, through the life of Christ, the teachings of Christ, then to the death of Christ and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. They're showing him the whole thing. Keep going there. Verse 27, when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. Hey, this guy's a good guy. Who, when he was come, he helped them much which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced now the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures now that Jesus was Christ. Now this guy is an eloquent speaker, highly educated. He's preaching boldly. Uh, he's telling those, you see, if you go by the message of John the Baptist, you're going to every Jew alive, telling them you need to repent. You need to be baptized in preparation not to be saved, and not even because they're saved. The Jews needed to repent and be baptized in preparation for the Messiah. It was saying the old system is gone and you're burying it and you're looking for the new system, which is Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And he's going around, he's doing a great job, but that's all he knew and that's not the gospel. There were still many truths that he was missing. He didn't know the Messiah had come. That'd be kind of freaky, wouldn't it? To go around telling him, the Messiah is coming. And then Aquila goes, he's already here. <laughs> what? That would have been awesome. And then, uh, then Apollos going, I missed him. And then Aquila and Priscilla sitting down and going through the gospel of Matthew with him. It might have, must have been priceless. Remember when you learned the gospel and you just drank it up like water. I never learned this. I never knew this. I always thought that Peter was never married. I always thought... Mary never had any more children. I always thought that, that uh, um, you know, the church was the building. And I see who Jesus was. I see what he did and what he taught and how he loved me and how he gave himself for me. You drank it up, didn't you? Well, that was Apollos. So Kula and Priscilla, and this is a great thing, they taught him. It takes a humble man, very eloquent speaker, very highly educated man, it takes a humble man to let lesser beings teach him. And they said, let me show you something. Hey, folks, I'm a Texan. I'm not Irish. And I'm not very eloquent. I can do only my best. But it takes humble people to sit down, people who are rocket scientists and chemists and politicians, to sit down and let somebody just show them what they've been missing. It's been in the Bible all along. And Apollos took it. He turned out to be a huge help to that church winning the Jews. Now I got to ask a question. Out of all of these things, what do we see? Constant motion, constant going. Yes, discouragement. Yes, desire to quit, but I can't quit. 
Do you ever feel that? But I want to ask you, are you even in motion? Do you do anything for the Lord Jesus? Do you do anything for the lost? That's a serious question. Paul was going somewhere, talking to somebody about the Lord always. Where did it start? It began when he discovered Jesus was alive. You find him in Acts chapter 9. You never find him sitting on his Todd. You never find him just watching YouTubes. You know what you find him doing? Trying to tell people, this is what I know. This is all I know. And you need to know it, that Jesus died for sinners. Just think about it. Wouldn't it be great if you and your wife and your kids were together serving the Lord? What a world this would be. I ask you secondly, could you be a friend? Are there people who've gone through the valley of the shadow of death lately? Man, you could be a Timothy or a Silas. You could be somebody that shows up and just blesses them. Like Timothy and Silas were. Sometimes the Lord uses people. You be a people, would you? Be somebody that would be a friend to somebody. Encourage them. Keep them going for God. Believe in them. There's one thing my mom gave me that I thought all moms did, and it's not true. But my mom, I would always come in, I would, about every couple of months, I would say, I'm going to be a fireman. A couple of months later, I'd say, I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to, and I thought meteorologists were the coolest people on the planet. I'm going to be a, I couldn't even pronounce it, a meteorologist. I want to be one. Mom, I want to be like that on the TV, you know. You know what my mom said? She said, you can be anything. I, but I thought all moms did that. Now, I find out not all moms say that. Wouldn't that be terrible to have the Lord impress on you to go and give the gospel? And then the devil says, no, 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 they won't listen. And then you come along and says, you're a great soul winner. You're an encouragement to me to go soul winning. Let's keep going. How about let's go out together? And they go, yeah, I'm going to keep going. I can't tell you how to do it. I can just tell you, we got to do it where we encourage one another instead of tear one another down. Because aren't we good complainers? Be careful of your attitude toward the Jews. Paul tried to quit on them. It's so easy to judge them as a nation. We were out yesterday, uh, on Friday, sorry, and there was a Palestinian flag and table there trying to get people to boycott the Jews. If you want to boycott the Jews, you're going to have to get rid of your phones because a third of the technology inside your phones and half the technology in the hospital is designed by Jews. And it's not about superior or inferior. You know what it is? A soul. A soul. Be careful of your attitude. They need the gospel. You ever get to sit next to a Jew and you find out they're a Jew, hug them. Tell them, this is a great honor. Can I give you a gospel track? I invite you out to church. Let me tell you, your Messiah come, died for me, loved me, and he loves you. You'll blow their mind. You'll blow their mind. And I just hope more of us get pressed in the spirit to keep going as Christians. Where we are easily influenced by the Holy Spirit of God instead of being hard and apathetic. Father, I love you. I thank you for being patient with us. As we go through the pages of this, this book here, especially the book of Acts, these aren't just events and people and places. This is an example. This is our pattern 
and it cuts us to the heart because we make up our minds. We say, I've tried and it didn't work. I tried to be a gospel witness and, and, and it, it went nowhere. And then the Holy Spirit begins to pull and says, try again. Love them again. Go out again. That's why marriages fall apart. Because we don't try again. Because we're following our own heart instead of the Spirit of God. That's why Christians fall out, can't speak to one another because we don't try again. We don't humble ourselves. Lord, we need, we, we need to realize we're, we're a bunch of different problems that you put together and say, love them, feed them, teach them, correct them, send them out, and make a difference in this world. We're too worried about the problems in us instead of the problems in the world. The world has a whole lot more problems than we do. We're blessed, Father. So change our attitude. Motivate us, God, by the pressing of the Holy Spirit to get the Word of God, the Spirit of God, out through the hands, out through the mouth, out through our life, instead of it just being stale and dead in us. And if there is anybody in this room that is at that door, and there's a knock, the Holy Spirit is knocking, trying to get in, trying to say, I love you, I need you to open the door. I can't save you till you want it. Will you trust me to have done everything that's needed? There's nothing more. Just believe. Just know you're a mess. And look unto me, and he will save. I pray somebody does that today. In Jesus' name, amen.